0: Andrea, that's brilliant. Okay, I'm going to um, go a little bit broader and probably kind of contextualize what Andrea has been saying, looking at the industry, looking at kind of the connections between the industry in Ireland and the industry elsewhere, and talk a little bit about the industry in the city in Dublin. So... I see. and then hopefully connect also to the programmable city project. So we'll see if we can do all of that uh, in, in about half an hour or so. So what I'm not going to do is, I'm not going to talk about augmented reality games, although you might be interested to know there is a vampire Dracula augmented reality game to play in Trinity College, should you ever want to go and download it for free. I'm not going to talk about maps and space and cities in games, although obviously with SimCity, and that's a map from GTA 5, you can see that mapping is actually really important to the playing of games, to the production of games, and has been a theme in itself in games. right? And I know SimCity, has been used in geography and teaching in secondary schools and colleges around resource management, uh, energy systems, etc. Um so, so I'm not going to talk about those. What I am going to talk about is um, the industry more broadly and also how the industry tries to think about itself or is struggling to think about itself. Right? And this is an issue. So when people say it's it game software, um, you will get a different answer depending on if you're talking to a publisher of games or a developer of games or an indie games company. Why? Because this is a really live political economy issue. The publishing industry want to be seen as software. They want to be seen as content-less. They don't want to fall under audiovisual regulation, particularly in Europe. They don't want to have quotas on production. They don't want to have monitoring of advertising in games. And so they are positioning themselves in lobbying at European and global levels, including in the World Trade Talks, that games are interactive software or entertainment software. And they have called their lobby groups in those countries the Entertainment Software Association in North America, the Interactive Software Federation of Europe in Europe, very explicitly positioning themselves. But if you talk to game companies, and if you talk to Indies or in Ireland, they're saying, actually, it'd be really good to get a bit of funding from the local film board or from the enterprise people. And if we have to be a cultural industry of a cultural element, But that doesn't seem like a stretch, I think we can do that. So the game companies are actually very happy to be called part of the creative and cultural industries or the cultural industries or whatever it is of the country that you're looking at, right? And I wrote an article in the book, um, a chapter Gaming Globally, looking at this struggle, looking at the lobbying between the publishing industry on the one hand saying we are software and from the game developers on the other hand saying we're not software or we're not software only, we're actually a cultural industry. And then some companies are schizophrenic, like Ubisoft, which is both the publisher and the developer. And in France, France, it wants to be a developer to get the grants, but actually, also it wants to be the software company in the world trade talks. So it's really interesting. The industry doesn't know if it's software or not, right? And you know, then academically, there's a lot of people writing that it is software, but it's not just software, right? It's software plus. Right, and this is an interesting uh, article written by an ethnographer who's an ex-game developer, who then became, went back to college and trained as an ethnographer, and now has a book coming out next year from MIT Press on working as an ethnographer within a game development team. And so he's talking about game development as the collaborative process with developer programmers and artists and audio people trying to work together in a team, right? So this is what game development is and this is what Casey O'Donnell is arguing is what the video game industry is. It's software plus this other stuff, right? If it was just software, it would be in those other categories, it would be back in finance or in the programming of the databases and whatever. But that's not to say that software isn't important. And I know and I haven't read all of the stuff on the CodeSpace project, but when you talk about the code space stash, but one being constituted of the other or one not functioning without the other, I think video games is a really good example because actually they don't work without the code and the software. The code and the software binds it together. But it's not just that. Okay? And that's important to think about, I think, when we think about game development. Okay. So let's just go very briefly, and this is like the whole kind of structure of a book in one slide about what's happening in games currently that link it really nicely, I think, to the programmable city or co kind of space projects. First of all, the shift from games as a product to games as a service, games online, right? Everything, the consoles are networked, games on iPads, games on smartphones, uh, massive multiplayer online games which require the internet infrastructure to run peer-to-peer games and increasingly esports, where games are not only being played online but are being broadcast live. So there's an audience of the game playing as well on top of it. So here we're seeing really interesting developments around games as games as a service. We're also seeing that this enables and is being enabled by a lot of data-driven game design and metrics, right? So this is about games are increasingly being offered for free, but monetized based on the data gathered on the game playing, right? So they're using the freedom, the free game, it's being offered for free, but then it's the game players are being monetized in other ways, and this is actually all based on metrics. And in fact, the game design is tweaked as it's offered over time, to maximize of the resources and the income, right? So they talk about, there's an Irish company, Swerve, which offers this offers software to game companies to build into their online games, which does this data analysis and metrics for the game design companies, and will tell them, well, actually, this design is working and you're getting money here, but this isn't, so they will switch away from what isn't working more towards what. Right. And I've seen this work really well with where games have licensed a load of real world characters like sports characters. They might license fifteen wrestlers for a game and to find out that only like three of the wrestlers are being played by most of the players. Well why would you pay for the rest, the licensing for the rest? Right? So all of this is now influencing the game design. We're seeing obviously new platforms, alternative routes to market, so you used to have to go through Microsoft, uh, and uh, Nintendo, and Sony. They were the key publishers to get on the main console platforms. We now have alternatives like Steam. We have different platforms like Facebook. So if you're an indie publisher, you're like, well, do I want to go console? Do I want to do PC? Do I want to do the Androids and the smartphones? Where am I going to go? Where will I get the best deal to get some revenues and money in? And then, of course, how do I engage with the players? Minecraft is a great example of where they're providing tools in a game, but actually building the community and getting the user base to use the tools and then share the content back is a really important part of the game. So it's not just what the developers did before they released, it's managing what all of their game players are doing and all of that other content that now is being shared afterwards as well. And then the other part that's kind of going on in the background and I won't really be able to talk about it is intense state competition now, particularly in Canada and some European countries for mobile game uh, multinationals, right? So Canada is going to offer more tax incentives and they're there to move there. And Ubisoft is playing this off really well. The French company is looking at where will I go? Will I go to Montreal when I go to Canada? They'll give me X amount of tax credits and whatever. And so there's a really interesting thing behind this and lobbying to get countries to get more visas for high-tech workers. So, you know, and this is in line with what's happening with Google and some of the other big high-tech companies who are saying we don't have enough skills, we can't get the skilled workers. And the, the games industry is kind of part of that debate as well. Okay. And, you, and we nearly had some of the same images. <laughs> yeah. So in the industry... It really is interesting to see the distinctions between a AAA development project, which is a huge project that might take three to four years, will take hundreds of people on the similar team to develop the game, right? We're talking hundreds of programmers, artists, working together in a, in a, a division of labor, right? If you are an artist on this game, you might be doing the dashboards only of cars, right? That is your job every day, right? And this is, you know, so you have to think that AAA is the industrialized production of games with division of labor, right? And this is very much going through the mega-publishers producing huge games that turn into franchises, Battlefield 4, GTA 5, right? These are iterations and iterations over time. And GTA now goes right back to... Mid 90s, early 90s, Yeah, early. yeah very early, okay. The, the thing about AAA as well is they don't innovate, like all big techs, like all they, you know, they have the big company program. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I thought that. No, it's true, <laughs> they often will buy in another small company to get an idea and then they will add it into the new games. Um, the other interesting things that we won't really get into is, is that there's a, some published work on the quality of life and workplace conditions in these companies, and then also on the lack of diversity of the workforce, right? which is worse than most other techni- technology and media areas. In the UK and the US in particular, 7% women in the industry, that's across all functions and reducing um, other categories. You can see it in the skill set census for the UK and. Uh, and in the U.S. as well. Um, so we have um, then what we might call third party independent companies who come up with original games and then pitch them to the publishers. Right? And these games are interesting because this is possibly where some of the innovation is really happening. These types of games came from independent companies and what often happens is then they're bought by the big publishers, right? They have a good idea, it looks like it's successful in the marketplace, then they got bought by the Microsofts and the Nintendos. And what's interesting here is building on the, the, uh, what, the trends in games more broadly, Little big Planet is very much about user-generated content, then being shared online afterwards, so is Minecraft, right? So here we're seeing, you know, Web 2.0 and all of the rest. But you're talking at very different character design, very different ideas, little big planet, play, create, share. Play, create, share. That's for tagline here, okay? Um, but most of these have been bought up and actually are very similar in structure to the big uh, AAA game projects, right? They're not dissimilar. And so actually what I've been doing a little bit is thinking about the difference between these types of independents, which are very similar to the AAAs, and what I might call indies, which may be something different, right? But this term still has to be kind of defined. And so a lot of the research at the moment, which looks at the independent third-party companies, is saying, Sometimes they're called indies, but they're not indie in the way we used to think about independent film, for example, as being alternative and coming up with new wacky ideas. Their structures are very similar to the mainstream industry. So, you know, here they're saying their practices of production are very similar to the AAA mainstream, right? But that's not to say there aren't examples of other companies who are trying to come up with alternative structures of production and alternative ideas for games and coming up with more diverse kind of ways of producing uh, content and software and code. And uh, you'll see, I don't know if people have seen Indie Game, the film, the movie, it was on actually recently again. Uh, on television which was actually uh, a film where they interviewed people more in companies like Andreas where they had like three people or actually in one case I think mean, two guys in a house, in his parents' house with no money for ages um, but working on a game that they really believed in and that they, they thought was different and so these people, this guy in Braid was saying, right, this is personal, this is passionate I want to do this, I don't want to do it just because the publisher will buy it, I want to do it and release it myself and see does it work with people, right? And Braid and a few of these other games are worth checking out to see, well, what do they do that might have been different, right? How do they produce their software and their code and their content? And so, actually, when you look at the games industry, most of it is very similar to the rest of the cultural industries, right? Angela McRobbie was writing in the early 2000s about the fashion industry in the UK, fashion designers, right, coming out of college. Uh, Mark Bank, Banks in the UK was mostly focused on the music industry and the television industry. And looking at the students coming out of college, how you know, they were kind of taking on the risk projects themselves as individuals, Right? and trying to come up and be creative in a very difficult kind of space. Gina Neff in, in uh, New York, looking at multimedia and web companies, and how she started talking about the individualization of risk onto the individual labor worker, right? and how she talked about venture labor, workers as venture capitalists in and of themselves, who are risking everything themselves to come up with these new ideas. What's interesting for me is that a lot of this resonates with what I see in the mainstream AAA independent industry, but it's even more gendered in the games industry. There's less women, and there's more gendered structures as far as I can see, um, and based on the research that I've done. But the other ways of working, particularly in the smaller independents, is very similar to other cultural industries. Right, it's it's quite similar. Um, So, but one of the things I think is interesting, and there's a new special issue of a a journal, it's an online open access journal called Loaded in Canada, which is called A, where all the journal articles are on what is indie, what does it mean to be indie in the games industry, right? And uh, I think it's pretty interesting that one or two of the papers were looking at uh, programming as craft. As being more similar to weaving than being this very rationalistic programming mathematical thing or could we rethink programming as being something like that based on the arts and craft movement for example could we make some of these connections some of the authors here are looking at fabric culture, making culture, maker culture, maker fairs looking at programming crafts, like something like the jams, and saying actually these aren't very dissimilar to some of the ethos and ideas around maker fairs and fabric culture and DIY culture. And I know that some of the examples they focus on here are some of the games jams that they've been running in um, Toronto and games workshops, but actually running women-only ones to try and encourage more diversity in the workforce in uh, the games industry uh, in Canada. And we have actually, one of the people who runs those um, um, uh, Tamara Shepherd is coming to visit here in Maynooth, uh in a month's time or so, and she'll probably be able to talk to us a little bit about those initiatives. So, games are software with our software plus, right? And there's a movement to think about what other types of approaches and ways can we think about programming and coding. And this word of craft actually comes up quite a bit even though I'm not sure you were familiar with this when you were naming GameCraft, is actually coming up a little bit, particularly for feminist researchers or STS researchers who are writing about games. Okay, so what do we need to know about trying to locate the games industry? Um, let me tell you one or two things about the games industry and then Ireland in the games industry, right? If you go to something like game Dev Map and you just look at software and content, right, not the people who make the consoles, because there's a whole other set of networks for the places that make the consoles, and I suspect you just map it on to who makes the iPhones, right? Where do the Xboxes come from? Where do the Sony Playstations come from? It's very much the same sorts of production networks. But the content and software is somewhat different, right? This is a little bit up-to-date, game dev map but you can see some of the Irish companies, and you can put in different countries. But I think even by just looking at some of the dots, if you can see them, you can see... It's not a global industry, right? It's located in North America and Canada, Europe, Eastern Europe, Asia, Australia, New Zealand, and tiny pockets in South America, right? This is Western industrialized countries. This is where the software the content is being produced, right? If you look at the games industry in Ireland, and we did a survey in 2009, myself and Anthony Cauley, where we uh, surveyed the industry and we looked at what were the jobs, who were working in the industry, what types of things were they doing in the industry, and we did it, well actually I did it initially in 2002, then 2009, and we've done a scoping study for another one in 2012, 20 But you can see that the industry is growing, right? At this point when we did it, there was about 1,500 people working in the games industry in Ireland in content development, and support and localization, right? Um, And we found that actually it's quite interesting to look at the breakdown of jobs because with the shift to services and the shift to online, most of the new jobs in Ireland were in community support, right? This means World of Warcraft in Europe is being supported out of Ireland, right? So we have the German team, the Polish team, all these are sitting in desks in Ireland to support the game players in that game right, um, uh, EA did um, Star Wars, the, the Star Wars, of the Old Republic, what's the game they did, the Massimatic EA, their Star Wars game, out of Galway, right, so they have their community support team there, and so here's where we were seeing some really interesting new types of jobs, these aren't the programmers or the artists, but these people are in-game, game masters, right, very often, watching the forums, figuring out what's happening with the cheating, making sure there's no problems in running of the game, making sure there's no griefing going on and trying to figure out how that works in the game. Here's a really interesting new category of jobs that maybe we hadn't thought about before. In terms of location in the games industry in 2009, the first one you probably can't see, but that is Dublin. Um, Dublin, Cork. Well, Dublin and Galway would basically be it. There's a little bit. There was a company in Cork, now they've closed down. So you would see that Dublin is the primary location for most of the games industry at the moment, right? And it's been growing quite a lot. We went from 1,500 in our scoping study with Jamie in 2012. We got to about 3,000 people in the games industry in Ireland, right? Now we haven't done an occupational breakdown on that. We think there's more in development because there's more indies now but most of the jobs are in community support because one EA will hire 500 people right, to work in community support. And that's the breakdown between indigenous and FDI companies. Right? So you can see the majority of employment is foreign-owned multinationals. That's the big part of the cake. Right? There, that's Microsoft, mm-hmm. EA, and these companies hiring people to work in the games industry. But there's really big growth in the numbers of companies. And that's formation of new indies and independence, right? So what we've been tracking is we have a small number of big multinationals that hire a lot of people, and now we have hundreds of indies. Two men, three people. No, all women, I think, at this point. I think there's one. Oh, sock, uh, sock, sock, something, sock, something. Sock, um, sock monster. Yeah. yeah. So this is the growth of the games industry in Ireland. And what I think is interesting about this is it links very much into spatialization of the global games industry more generally. Why? Because community support jobs are being outsourced to Ireland. Right? EA is developing its games, North America, whatever, outsourcing the European community support jobs to Ireland, mostly to support the German, Portuguese, Spanish, French and other language markets in Europe. So... And so I've written a paper on specialization in the games industry and how many of the jobs in Ireland are around this outsourcing of certain types of jobs. But if you look at the independents, there's probably three types of independents at the moment in Ireland. There's complete newbies who are graduates who are coming out of the colleges, right? There's people who are transferring in from other industries, Andrea, from banking, and then there's spin-outs from companies that close down, game companies, multinationals that have closed down, and those people, for change, actually don't want to move abroad. Are you All right. No, that's not And I think what's interesting here is that um, the spin-outs, so for example, PopCap had a company here, had 80 developers, got bought by EA, and they closed the Irish office. Right, and then we had 80 developers suddenly made unemployed, but we have five new companies out of that. Some emigrated, but five new companies, and those people have already worked on Plants vs Zombies and all of the big EA mobile games, so they have a lot of experience now going in as game companies. Right, and this is quite interesting when we look at independence in the countries. Okay. Um. So there is a journal article by Rowan Dews which asks how indie is it and it says that you can think about independence in two different ways, maybe financially and creatively and see that um, you know, for some of the independents, you know, sometimes they don't want to take finance because it actually changes the game they want to make too much, right? So I've interviewed companies who said, we had this really nice idea for a game and it was going to be a gothic this with racing and with whatever. And then the publisher says, I can't market that. Either have it as a racing game and we license somebody in the racing game or have it as a gothic horror, right? But don't know. So the publishers will have to come in and in return for the money say it needs to be this or that. And so a lot of the independents will hold off as much as they can from taking investment because that might change the creative idea. Um, Okay, so in what's left, I want to talk, somebody asked about can this be created by the state and the government, right? So let's just look a little bit about what they're doing for the games industry in Ireland. We have an action plan for the games industry in Ireland, it's about 80, 90 pages long. Um, We have incubators and seed funding that are not specifically for the games industry, but that's where games companies have been going into. In the action plan, it's full of the language that you would suppose you'd find in a report like this. Um, it doesn't use any academic except for one creative class person who pops Jesus. up everywhere. <laughs> so yes, Richard Florida is the only academic I can find that's actually referenced in the report. But, but you know, it's interesting to read it at different levels for the language, and you know, this is how they talk about the games sector in Ireland and the kind of plans for growing this industry in Ireland. And uh, games companies have been going into some of you would be familiar with the NDRC, which is up in. Um, the digital hub and thomas street and um, we've had game companies going into the software support we have these programs called launchpad which are meant to be accelerator programs for software companies right and in return for some equity towards your prototyping you go in for an intense period of time right and they do this for all types of companies not just games companies but games companies have been going in here but it's a difficult thing for games companies to fit into, right? The standard business plan, the prototype within a certain period of time and whatever. And and what's interesting about this is they're trying to teach all of these um, new companies in the same way, but actually many of them have very different challenges, right? Uh, And then EI uh, has this program called New Frontiers and with the Institutes of Technology, again you go in and you get seed capital funding for two to three months and they try to launch you as a company afterwards. Um, And then there's this thing called Games Ireland, which has been founded in the last couple of years, which is a trade association, not-for-profit for for the games industry. And they're now lobbying the government to get various things in place for the games industry because they're seeing um, what's happening in Canada and the UK, and they're saying we need to compete with that and do whatever. But they've been holding big events as well, bringing over keynote speakers from games companies like Riot Games, who do League of Legends, uh, and you know, having big events, 200, 300 people in a room talking about games, um, uh, and trying to kind of grow the games industry. And there's been special issues in magazines like Edge in the UK, which kind of semi-promotional around why you should come to Ireland, and Dublin in particular, to create games. I have about 20 copies of that if you want to get a copy of it. Uh, What's interesting is, you know, well, just, you know, diversity issues in the games industry and who gets to speak for the industry. The only woman is Maid McConnell from the IDA. But this is interesting. Games Ireland have set up something called Game Space. And they've taken over a building that's in Nana and they have it on a rolling short-term contract because they don't know how long they have it for, right? So currently it was meant to be to Christmas, now it's been extended for a few more months. And they're taking in companies of different sizes. Some of them just have a box, like a a PO box. Some get a desk, and some have a room. So there are different stages of development. And this is, uh, I mean, um, Batcat was not in the same building but was part of this initiative. And the idea was around co location and clustering, and that maybe this would help the games uh, industry. But they don't really have a home, so they're kind of here for a little short period of time. Uh, and of course, if, if something is kind of, um, uh, I don't know what the word is, but this is in the IFSC, so maybe it's, you know, it's an empty financial services building being taken over by game companies. And this is what it looks like inside, just, you know, the, the usual. And then we have the... Uh, bottom-up things, the stuff that uh, Andrea has been involved in, but other people as well. So while the state is saying, we'll give you business mentoring, we'll give you a bit of equity funding, and you need to do your business plan, and we'll give you an office for three months, the games industry itself has been doing all this bottom-up stuff. This is one it's called Dub Ludo, Ludo from Games and Play, and this is actually about people just getting together to talk about game design and play. Right? Not the programming of the game specifically. How do you come up with a good game idea and sharing it with each other? Right? Meeting informally in different places and they have a space online, they're on Facebook and they're on Twitter right? and you can follow them and go to their meetups. And then there's Graincraft, which Andrea has been involved in. And I think she probably undersold it because what they do is they get people along and you get formed into teams on the day. You need an artist, you go over here. You need a program, you go there. Sometimes an audio person who might work on five projects. right? So it's team-based jamming as opposed to individual jamming. And I think that's probably why it works. And it works differently to the other types of virtual jams. Um, and was saying there, there is an annual one at the Global Gamecraft at the end of January every year and Gamecraft are part of that this year but they organize their own events and I think they're probably an interesting thing for people to keep an eye on. Alright, I should probably finish just now. Okay, that's the other thing I thought was interesting about Gamecraft. These are the two programmers who are running it. These are probably the two women you will meet at all of the games and gender in IT events in this country. The first time I met Andrea, she came up and gave me a big hug. She went, another woman? And I was like, yeah, not that I'm a programmer. But, and Vicky, who is involved in the Science Museum, is involved in Pi Women, Pi Ladies. I'd say, Tracy, you may have met Vicky. She was at the events as well, yeah. So, this is what's happening. in terms of initiatives around games industry in Ireland, the state ones are treating it like any other business, and mostly they think software when they think the games industry, right? They think you're gonna prototype this, beta test it, go gold, and ship, right? That's kind of the way they plan the supports. <laughs> but it doesn't quite work that way for the games companies. Some resist it for financial and creative, creative ideas, some resist it for other reasons. Um, but the bottom up in just uh, things that are happening around coding and developing games are pretty interesting. There's a lot of virtual networking but there's also a lot of face-to-facing and that kind of gives something a sense of how this kind of culture is uh, being created. Okay, I'm kind of conscious of the time and I don't want to take up too much but I think that when we look at who works in the games industry in Ireland, It's very similar to the rest of the technology industry in Ireland, except it brings in on contract the writers, musicians, and other people from the other creative industries, right? So it needs to link with those industries somehow to produce its games. The industry is very young, very male, very white. Um, So it's very interesting from a kind of diversity uh, perspective, and you can do all sorts of gender analysis around the the industry, the the practices, the types of games that are produced. Um, And I think that the Indies actually are pushing back against some of the kind of gendering of the industry in very interesting ways. And what's happening in Toronto, Canada, where they have women-only game jams and they're explicitly teaching women to code and program games so they will go into the industry. There's actually some interesting kind of activist practices or kind of, you know, political uh, strategies being developed in places to try and change something of the kind of gendered nature of the culture of uh, gaming. So, software is more than code. It's kind of software, sorry, games are more than software and code, but they rely on it to run. It's quite a gendered industry, and I don't think you could look at programming and coding in this industry without taking a gender perspective on it. Um, And I think we could critically engage with the kind of the values that are embedded in a lot of the practices in the industry in the way that people have with fashion and film and other creative media industries as well. I'll stop. Thanks very much.